Thank you, Lord, for your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you, Lord God, for how you speak to us. You know how we are wired, and we pray for each one of us tonight, Lord, uh, that we ask that you would speak to each of us, and that we would hear your word clearly, and be led of your Ruach, Lord God, to take your word and apply it, grow by it, Lord, into greater degree of maturity in you so we pray for that transformation to take place and we ask for much anointing Lord as your word is proclaimed in the name of Yeshua Amen no, I'll, I'll do it afterwards okay. okay so everybody has notes and tonight is uh the concluding time of study um, in the book of Galatians, just our concluding time. Uh, obviously, come back in a couple years, maybe things will be different. I don't know for, for you when you read it again, but hopefully some of the things we've gone over have been uh, enlightening for you or educational for you. Um, before I even get started on tonight's last little section, is there anything that uh, anybody has sort of had on their heart or mind from last week or prior weeks that they... Uh, just have to get out, say something. Um, in that case, um, if you do come up with something, let me know. But we're going to look at this last this last section. Um, <clears throat> most Bibles have have this as a section, verses 11 through um, 18 of chapter 6 of Galatians. Uh, I did come across one one author that thought really that the first half of 11. Or, or really the first verse of 11 um, kind of goes with what's prior but it doesn't really make much difference we're, we're, we're taking this last little section um, and I'm going to go ahead and, and read it through once kind of as it flows this, this, this part and then we'll go through some of the individual verses uh, by themselves so Galatians 6 starting verse 11 this says this Paul says notice the large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand those wanting to look good outwardly or, or in the flesh are trying to um, force you to be circumcised only so they will not be persecuted for the cross of Messiah. For not even the circumcised keep Torah themselves. Yet they want to have you circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. But may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Through him the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but only a new creation. Now as many as live by this rule, shalom and mercy on them and on the Israel of God. From now on, let no one make trouble for me, for I bear on my body the scars uh, of Yeshua. Some other translations say that the marks or the branding marks of Yeshua. The grace of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So, what I want to say off the bat here again, this is this is um, this is not just a typical goodbye. A lot of people really analyze some of the way that some of the things that Paul says here, comparing to his other letters, and here's the differences in the other letters. He did it here this way, and this is a, this is a, uh, against the 
typical format that he does. If you remember from way back when we talked about this letter of Galatians, that it's it's highly thought that this might have been the first letter that Paul ever wrote. So it's really hard to make comparisons with later letters, saying that he differed from the later letters. This was this was kind of the, the standard, so to speak. Um, but this is more than just a salutation. But really, it's important for us to look at this because there's a couple key ideas that really I believe uh, show us that this is not just a take care folks, but it's really a recap of what he's trying to get across. And it starts off with this um, these large letters. Has anyone ever heard some ideas of what this thing about large letters is? Anyone have, if, if you've heard, if you know of a teacher, maybe what you think it means, feel free to, to share that. Anyone heard, have any th- uh, thoughts or heard stuff about that? What he, what he means by these large letters? Yes? I've heard several different things. Uh-huh. Um, some that it could have been because of the vision problem. Mm-hmm. Um, other people who study handwriting analysis would say that people who are leaders tend to write with very large letters. Mm-hmm. It just been a sign that he was a leader, somebody that stood out in the crowd. Okay. Anyone else heard something different? Anyone else heard some of those same things? Has anyone heard? Does she know what, she, you know what she's talking about with regard to the, the large letters being a vision issue? Do you all know what she's talking about there? Anybody not? No. How many of y'all think that that's possible? Or think that's maybe what it is? Sure. Okay. Why do you think that? Because his eyes were going bad. So, so why do we think his eyes were going bad? Um, this is the test I was telling you about. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a disease or just his life. Yes, Karen? Yeah, he was blinded when he uh, when Jesus talked to him. Uh-huh. And that was it? Maybe he never yeah. got fully healed. So some will say it's the blinding light on the road to Damascus, right? Um, real quickly on that one, I believe it's, I think it's fairly... Uh, I hate using the word clear because my Greek teacher would just would, would give me a hard time. I said, it's very clear. The text clearly says, um, I, I think it's uh, there's evidence to support that not being the case. I mean, it says that that when he was visited then, the thing, the scales fell from his eyes. I believe that was completely, it was completely, it wasn't an issue. It was God blinded him for a time, that that's not a recurring thing. Um, then others will say he was going blind. And that comes from a few places. Now, even in the very, the, the book, um, this book itself, and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, uh, over in uh, chapter 4, in verse 13 and following, it says, when he's talking to them, he said, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. You know it was because of a physical ailment that I proclaimed the good news to you the first time, and though my physical condition was a trial to you, you didn't hate to reject me. Um, and he says uh, a little further down, I testify you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me if possible. So some people say that he had this puffy eye condition. Uh, in fact, if we go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 7, oh, I'm put that, wait, that didn't seem right. Yeah, 2 Corinthians, that's a 2 before it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Uh, 12. 12. Talking about uh, uh, that even the extraordinary quality of revelation so that I would not exalt myself 
in the extraordinary quality of the revelation. So I would not exalt myself. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So I would not exalt myself. A lot of people look at this messenger and this idea of, you know, uh, you should not be in an exalted state ever. And therefore God humbled Paul by giving him this physical um, ailment. Um, so often a physical infirmity is there. We start tying these things together and people will say, yeah, Paul had some type of physical infirmity. Um, and uh, a couple things. I'm just going to go through this. This is, this is my opinion. You're going you're gonna to hear other opinions. Um, but that... Uh, there's some notes on the chair there. Um, but that the physical infirmity thing here is that in terms of being exalted unnecessarily, I mean, that, that is an issue. However, God does, exa- the exalted state in itself is not an issue. God does lift people up uh, when they humble themselves. Um, you know, you resist the devil. Freaking God, God will lift you up in due time. Um, God does lift people up. When God humbles you, it can be a humiliation. I think in Paul's case, a lot of other people were exalting him. You see this in the book of Acts. Or, this is Zeus, this is Apollo, and so forth. And, and that was the issue, and, and they were drawn to him for that. I think what we see in 2 Corinthians, first of all, uh, don't lose sight of the fact that Paul, I mean, that Satan is the one that was that gave Paul the thorn in the flesh. This is not the Lord giving him the thorn in the flesh. This Satan was a messenger of Satan. Um, Paul talks other places about infirmities, um, and infirmities also can just mean weaknesses, not necessarily physical issues. Um, uh, but Paul speaks about taking pleasure in infirmities. That leads people to think Paul was sick and weak, and that was a humbling thing for him. But again, that that we look, for instance, in Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-six, talks about the Spirit helping us. We don't know how to pray our infirmities, not knowing how to pray and so forth. So it's an idea of not knowing how to pray there, a lack of knowledge, of not knowing what to do. So it can mean just a weakness or an inadequacy as opposed to a sickness. Um, you see uh, further, uh, right after that idea of the thorn in the flesh in, in chapter 11 of Second Corinthians, Paul gives a list of all the infirmities, the blows and the shipwrecks and all these type of things uh, that he had s- suffered. And he lists these as also infirmities. Um, and these are not sicknesses. These are things that he suffered for the sake of Messiah. And I think that actually ties in more with these scars or marks that are talked about at the end of chapter 6 in Galatians here. So, again, infirmities equals hardships endured, I believe, for the sake of the Lord. Um, in other words, demonic persecution through people. The, the Tanakh, the Old Testament idea of, of thorns. There's a few references. I don't know if I put them in your notes, but you can write them down. I don't think I did. Numbers chapter 33, verse 55. Moses speaks about thorns there, talking about people, persecution that came his way, not physical issues. Uh, Joshua 23, 13. Uh, there's talk of snares, traps, scourges, and thorns, referring back to the same things from Numbers. You see this also in Judges chapter 3 and verse 3. These are, I think, some of the foundational uh, terminologies that Paul's audience would have known, that these ideas of, of thorns um, were all referring to, to people. Again, we talked about the Galatians 4, the infirmity of the flesh there. This is kind of one of the most, um, this coupled with what we just read in verse 6 about the large letters, is really what people really said. This is where we know we had an eye issue, and they said, I'd even you know, pluck out my eye and so forth. Um, but if you notice in verse chap- in chapter 4 of Galatians, a couple things to point out here. And if you haven't figured out, I, I don't agree with the large letters being the I issue. That's what I'm getting at. Uh, and I'm trying to give you the evidence for that. Um, I think it's much more straightforward and simple than that. Um, but he says, you know it was because of a physical ailment that I proclaimed the good news to you the first time. I think this is, this is an implication that it was probably temporary. And, and this first time is critical 
Um, and the idea of, and I'll get back to that in a moment, this idea of, of, of you know, plucking out my, your eye from me, I think this is a figurative thing, kind of like if I were to say, man, I'd give my right arm for, for my kids or whatever. It doesn't mean that, that they have a bad right arm, right? And so remember the ideas of saying, well, I, you, you said you'd give me your eyes, and people make the, 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 the jump to say, well, that must mean that he had bad eyes. But no, it's more of a figurative thing that he would do, do anything for them. So if I say, I you know, give my right arm, doesn't mean that just who I'm giving it for has a bad right arm, if that, that makes sense. Um, but uh, even beyond that, another thing, in Acts chapter 14, I think we talked about this early on. Um, Acts chapter 14, if you recall, this is where Paul was preaching in Lystra and Derby, and then in verse 19, they beat him so bad that they thought he was dead. Either he was dead, or they thought he was dead. Either way, like... I'm guessing he wasn't just holding his breath. I mean, he was probably out. Maybe he was dead. But if you if you recall, um, what did he do right after that? He got out. Where'd he go? The disciples prayed for him. He yeah. came to life again. And then what did he do? He left that city. Where'd he go? I think he went to Berea, but I'm not perfectly positive. No, that's not right. That's not right. I don't remember. Yeah, so let's look at it. So Acts, chap- <laughs> so Acts chapter 14. <laughs> This is in is this like 14 and verse, uh, verse 19. Let's see. So, again, they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went back into that city. On the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. After proclaiming the news to that city and making many disciples, they returned to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch. If you recall from the map that Rabbi Chaim gave at the beginning of the class, where were all those places? It's kind of the area that we're talking about here in Galatians, right? Turkey? Well, yeah, but the, the, the idea that this is probably the area, the, the Galatians area that the, for, the, for the audience that he's speaking about here. So, I say that because I think it can be reasonably um, connected to this eye problem in Galatians 4. Um, I doubt they just hit him in the legs and hit him in the arms. I mean, I'm guessing they beat him you hear something, I'm going to beat you about the head and shoulders. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's, it's very reasonable to say his face could have been pretty messed up, pretty, you know, I think explanatory of some of the things that it was sort of, you know, these quote-unquote physical ailments that, that they were kind of not liking to see there in Galatians 4. So I think the eye problem could have very well been from the beating he had just taken. Um, that's my evidence, a lot of the evidence against that. I think you have to do more um, stitching together of, of stretching things for the eye issue if the letters would have been big. I mean, granted, he didn't write all the, the things himself, but I mean, more things than maybe he would. Did he have a scribe writing for him? Probably. Um, but I think the idea of letters being large so that he could see them, I just don't think, I think that's more of a, of a stretch personally. Again, you can disagree with me, but those are some of the, the, the evidence that I, I would say. In addition, the word that talks, that's used here in the Greek that's saying, you know, look with such large letters I'm writing to you, there's a couple words for uh, large or big. One is where we get our word mega from. That's the typical, you know, like big in size. Uh, and that's not the word that's used here. Uh, the word that's used, that's more of, a, of an adjective that's, that would be used. But this word here is a different word. I think I did put this in your notes, that this is part of more of an exclamative, ex- exclamation kind of thing. Like, take a look at the large largeness here. It's uh, it's a different, different word. Um, and so I do think that more along the lines of what uh, Rachel said, um, on the one hand, large could be size, but I do think it has more to do with an attention-grabbing thing, whether it's because he was a leader. Or so I think it's more of an, this is really 
again, the culmination of this letter, the, the, the reinforcing of the message here. And I think that's more what he's saying, like, look, I'm going to really, in addition to that, this authenticates the letter, because he says, with my own hand, he talks about that as well. So it's much about the bigness of the letters in his eyes, as much as, look, now, if you, didn't, if you thought this was a phony, you see in Second Thessalonians, for example, talks about fake letters and so forth. I think I put that in your notes, Second Thessalonians 2.2. All his other letters, he ends with, he does say these kind of things, like, this is my hand, I'm writing this to you. I think these are authentic, uh, to make things authentic. I think that's really what the letter, uh, the large letters have to do with, the importance of the letter, the attention getter. Uh, and again, not necessarily the, the, uh, the eye disease, um, the eye problem. Um, so, moving on to, to verse 12. Uh, it says, Those wanting to look good outwardly are trying to force you to be circumcised, only so they will not be persecuted for the, for the cross of Messiah. And he's getting into the, the message here. Um, the, sort of the, the big thought here is that, again, if you're allowed to be part of the household. Remember we talked about at the beginning how it was a kind of a uh, an issue possibly was that the synagogues were getting so big because these non-Jews were getting to come in and now you're getting the attention of the, govern, the government and so forth and maybe the privileges and things that you were uh, enjoying before could be at risk because we're letting people come into the synagogue who aren't visibly becoming Jewish. And if just anybody can join, you know, that's going to... we our, our goodwill with the, with the authorities and so forth could be sacrificed here. So, making the whole you know Yeshua thing, as I wrote in your notes, the Yeshua thing suspect. You know, is this really something for real? Because you're letting anyone in, and this is making us look bad. So, because of that, um, you know, Paul's saying, look, they're trying to do things outwardly in order to, to help themselves. You know. Now that being said, uh, I believe that disciples, and as disciples, uh, ideally all of us in this room, um, should make the discipler look good. I think there should be an, an aspect that we are making the discipler look good, being Yeshua, but not based just on these visible external things. Um, so, for example, you know, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about behavior, of course, but not necessarily, you know, there are some, I think, in the larger body of believers that think that there are things that make, you know, if I, if I drive a big car and I've got this success and so forth, that I'm going to make God look good. And that's sort of the the basis for saying, if I have all these things, you know, I'm going to praise the God. You know, you help me win the lottery, and I'll, man, I'll, we'll, we'll make you look good kind of thing. Um, so on, on, the, on the one hand, we need to make the disciple look good, but not necessarily on those uh, on those outward things. If you were here on Shabbat, if you recall, I talked about, we were preaching, uh, I preached in Acts chapter 2, and if you remember there, you know, they got the other tongues and the, the light show and all this kind of stuff, and then at the end, I mean, not at the end, but at, the end, at that little section there, people are some people are saying, "What's this all about?" I don't understand it. Other people are saying, "Oh, that's just you know, they're just drunk or whatever." And if you recall, uh, I said that you know that it, what's going to be your miracle, so your sort of tongues moment, something that's going to be in your life, some type of level of, of success, whether it's a, a marriage, you know, health or whatever it might be, that that people are going to look and go, "How in the world?" And you're going to say, "Well." And you'll know it's going to, you, you can attribute that to God, not, not anything else. And so I think that is, that is uh, something that I think we should consider, that believers, you want them to look good. Are there struggles? Are there, is everyone going to be perfect? Not at all. But again, these are the extremes we're talking about, right? We're talking about here, you know, trying to look good, saying it's 
to give a testimony to the disciple or to God versus the other side of the equation saying we've got to be you know, the most humble people beaten down and that's not it either. So there's something, there's something in there. What is it that we have that we haven't received anyways? Paul talks about that in his other letters. So there's really nothing to, to boast about as we, that's kind of the next section that we, uh, as we go through this. Um, but again, I do think that the better we are in society, um, that the more, you know, the more opportunity we'll have to, you know, go against cultural norms of, you know, people will, will look like, I think of someone like Tim Tebow, for example, you may or may not like Tim Tebow, I don't know, but I get excited about a guy like Tim Tebow, anyone can fall, I don't have my faith in him, but I think it's great that he has done what he's done and he had the success that he had and the stories, I mean, who doesn't play, I mean, he doesn't play high school, you know, he's homeschooled and he gets an NFL, like what other, what other stories do we have like that? I mean, it's unusual and people can, they want always big, this, that, and this. I went to seminary with his brother, his older brother. I didn't know it was him the whole semester. I'm probably the only person that didn't know. I'm T, we're joking. I'm giving this guy a younger guy. I'm giving him a hard time. And we're, I'm sitting next to him the whole semester. One day I see his notebook. It says Peter Tebow. And I'm like, oh, I wonder that. I go home. I see Tim Tebow's picture on MSN, some news story. I'm like, man, that looks like Peter. Don't tell me I'm the only one that didn't know. <laughs> sure enough, I'm the only one that didn't know this. But he's, he's small. Like I'm, I mean, I'm not saying he's smaller than me, but like he, he's no Tim Tebow. So you, you can say whatever you want. And the point is, it, it, it does highlight highlight God. I think no one's going to think of Tim Tebow without thinking about his faith. Um, verse thirteen says, "For not even the circumcised keep Torah themselves, yet they want to have you circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh." Um, I don't want to. the The idea of uh, not even the circumcised keep the Torah themselves. We, that, that's a big question. What exactly does that mean? And I'm going to kind of, I'm going to gloss over that because, quite frankly, it's questionable exactly what that means. However, I think the biggest point is that it's a setup for verse 13. I mean, for, for the next verse 14. Um, but the, the the big picture there is that you know what this really goes beyond the fact of wanting someone to look good on the outside for the fact that you know the the. That everything will look copacetic and no one will think, oh, people are getting into our congregation who haven't become Jews and so forth. This even goes beyond that to the fact of, I want you to look good so that I'll look good in, in addition. Not just so my, my, so my life will be safe and my, all the things I want are safe, but that, you know, I'm, I'm going to stake a claim on you myself. And that's pretty, I mean, this is a pretty egregious type of attitude. Because, again, it's one thing to boast about yourself, but then you go out and boast about others and then stake that, say that that's your responsibility. And you might think that is just... That's, that's really terrible and we can point our fingers but you know what I thought about this today and I think you know what this is not so foreign of an idea to us in other words I don't think it's so foreign to say that we don't do that exact same thing point to other people's success as our, as, and, and can't take credit for it um, I think it's done a lot I think it's done if, uh, with, with kids for example how great your kid is and how many, are you saying it because I'm just I mean I'm not Maybe you're really proud of your child, but are you not proud of your child because you take some pride in that yourself? Somehow it's making you look good. Um, the fact is, you have kids, if you have kids, you realize you can't raise them to begin with. Anything, anything they have or do is because of them. You know, especially all the good stuff. If it's the bad stuff, that's that's definitely you, right? But uh, the good stuff is them. So I think we do that with them. I think with bumper stickers, Facebook posts, conversations, we somehow get the conversation around to something that you want to tell somebody, <laughs> you know. Again, maybe I'm talking about myself, but I see a few, a few nods there. So I think consciously or subconsciously, um, a lot of the great things that we talk about are actually designed to bring attention to ourselves. Um, 
And that's a problem. I think that is a problem that, that Paul's talking about here. Not, not the, you know, he's obviously not talking about Facebook posts, but he's talking about that. That's, that is the big concept. That's something applicable for us. Um, and if you read the Hebrew translations of this, uh, I went over a little bit of this uh, on Shabbat, how you know Hebrew uh, versions of the Bible are translations, but it's interesting somehow to look, because there are different languages, and they have ways to express things a little differently. And the Hebrew uh, here that talks about the idea of boasting uses the word uh, where we get hallelujah from. Praise Adonai. It literally, it literally, literally says uh, the opposite. It says so that you would praise y'all's self is what it says. <laughs> you would praise yourself in your flesh is what it says. And to me, that that's you know that's we understand what boasting is, but that's really I think I think that he really captures the idea of boasting. We're saying hallelujah to ourselves about our flesh. That's literally what it says. You should praise yourselves in your flesh. Um, Verse 14. So this is all part of that same idea, the setup again. Talking about some people want to keep the Torah. They, they want to make themselves, they want to boast about your flesh. He says, however, and this is the point he's trying to make, this is the adversative of that. But may I never boast, or may I never give myself a hallelujah, hallelujah about me, um, except in the cross of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Through him the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. So that what he's saying here is that the only real praiseworthy thing about yourself should be is the fact that you've, I don't want to say you've figured this stuff out, but that you have received the message of the Messiah. And not even by yourself, necessarily. It's been given to you. You've had your, your eyes open and you, you're able to accept these things. Sure, you're growing. But that's really the only you know, thing that would be praiseworthy about you. You know, like I would say, the only thing praiseworthy about me, I'd say, is you know, uh, my wife, you know what I mean? Like, I married the right person, that kind of thing. It's not about me or, or that I, you know, hooked her or something. But that would be praiseworthy. But the idea is that the only thing praiseworthy is that you've received the message of Messiah is all sufficient sacrifice. There's nothing else to look for in terms of your righteousness and your, your successes and so forth. Um, I want to read to you, if you want to flip over to... I'm sorry, Mike, I didn't give you all these heads up. There's a bunch of books... <laughs> I would have had you carrying a poor uh, Hadassah carrying a bunch of stuff. Uh, Jeremiah. <coughs> I'm going to read a little something that thinks connected here. That uh, I didn't see many people uh, reference this. I did see one. I thought it was pretty good. Jeremiah you, 9. Yes. Look at that second guy. Look at you, man. Does it actually reference it? End of the chapter. Yes. Yeah, so, well, I didn't know if they referenced it in their, uh, their cross-reference here in, in Galatians. They didn't. Jeremiah 9, uh, verses 22 through 26. So perhaps, uh, you have that right now? You have that? Jeremiah 9, 22 through 26? Yeah. Why don't you read that? So here's what Adonai said. The wise man should not boast of his wisdom. The powerful should not boast of his power. The wealthy should not boast of his wealth. Instead, let the boaster boast about this, that he understands and knows me that I am Adonai, practicing grace, justice, and righteousness in the land. For in these things I take pleasure, says Adonai. Awesome. Just go to 20, 20, just to the end of the chapter. That's the, that's the real awesome part. But go to, I want to go to 26 because actually it, it seems like it's almost talking right out of Galatians here. Keep going. Yeah, so, uh, the days are coming, says Adonai, when I will punish all those who have been circumcised in their own uncircumcision. Egypt, Yehuda, Edom, the people of Ammon and Moab, and all those living in the desert who cut the edges of the beard. For all, for although all the Gentiles are uncircumcised, all the house of Israel have uncircumcised hearts. 
I don't know if you're familiar. Michael was familiar with that. I, I mean, I've read that before, but have, did I connect it with Galatians chapter 6? I don't think so. I don't know many people have. I think it's pretty... It tie, again, it ties things together. It's less, like I mentioned on Shabbat, less of a contrast between this was, you know, this was Exodus 19, and this was Acts 2, and this was the law, and this was the Spirit. I mean, this is the same God through and through. And this, again, this this is almost sounds like it's right out of Galatians, quite frankly. Um, so again, boasting. Uh, giving hallelujahs to ourselves. If we boast in anything, even as it says here in Jeremiah, as it says in Galatians, we're to boast in our weakness, even in that case, not to draw attention to ourselves. Again, I talk sometimes about you know, uh, pride that's based in humility. Call it humble proud. In other words, you really are proud, but you're trying to cloak it as humility. You know, Well, I'm really not that good when you think really you're that good kind of thing. So this is not it at all. This is we're to boast in our real weakness. And if you want to draw attention to, to God in the sense, you want to be countercultural, and I think meditate on that idea of having a genuine humility before God for anything that you have. Not a not a a prideful humility, but a real humility. That, that to me that's that's countercultural, quite frankly. But I think the culture completely against our I mean, again, I hate I'm picking on Facebook, but that's you look at Facebook, that's where these posts are everyone's you know, this is not humility, you know, it's really pride, quite frankly. Uh, posting these things, what you're doing in your picturesque day, taking your wife out or whatever. I mean, is it? It's not because I'm a great husband, right? That's not why you're posting that, you know. So, anyways, and please, if you posted that, that don't don't take it wrong. I'm, I'm I point the finger just as much at myself. Although I don't do Facebook posts, I think you know we can. I could probably point to times where I turn a conversation in a way that I want to talk about something that I'm excited about. Somehow think I had a hand in. Quite frankly, I probably didn't at all. <laughs> so. Um, Think also about, I think another thing to meditate on that, that that's tied to this idea that Paul's talking about is what he is boasting in. He's boasting in the, the cross of Messiah. Now, we, I think, can easily gloss over that um, because we have a lot to draw on for reference. It doesn't sound so crazy. We, we know what it means to boast in, the, uh, boast in Messiah and so boast in the cross of Messiah. But think about this historically from Paul's perspective uh, without the reference that we have. Okay, To outsiders at that time, those that did not believe in Yeshua, those that didn't have all the history, those that didn't have the Bible, those that didn't have the theological works that were written and so forth. What was what was the cross? What was it? Symbol of shame. Total symbol of shame. Execution of criminals. Yeah. It, it was a criminal being executed, period. That's what the cross was. Anything that we, we think about now that we know about wasn't even close. It wasn't even in their, in their purview. It had only to do with a criminal being executed, period. And then Paul, in his followers, and Paul here in particular, boasts about the implement of that execution. Does that seem crazy to you? I mean, this is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. He's boasting. This would be maybe like us walking around with a, a, a noose, for example, symbolic noose, or or really venerating. Uh, an electric chair or a lethal injection table or something like that um, as a symbol of our religious devotion. Can you imagine? Or a guillotine. Yeah. That, you know, we're, we're so excited about that guillotine. I mean, how crazy would the stigma be if that's what we were, we were honoring and so forth? You know? But even with those things, I think, again, like Silly Brother was very important because even all those methods of execution for us that we can relate to are much more sterile, you know, much more clean and hygienic than the cross. Because it has that 
that humiliation fact, right? Um, it really at that time had nothing to do with religion or zeal for beliefs. It was a completely negative symbol of crime and punishment, embarrassment, humiliation, period. And I think we do miss a big piece of that today just by going over that. Because, not only because we, we can't sort of separate ourselves from all the history that we know, but, I mean, what are, what are crosses today, unfortunately, when we see this? Jewelry. They're jewelry. Are they worn by believers in Yeshua? Are they worn in ways that would probably be honoring to? <laughs> I mean, I, you can use your imagination. Where have you seen crosses and, and that kind of thing? And uh, I mean, they're anything from, from just the fashion symbols. Uh, they are... Uh, in some very ways offensive to Jewish people. I mean, that's why if you've been with us for any period of time, we talk about crosses. We're not, you know, we're not anti-cross and what the cross stands for, but you have to understand what it does say to a Jewish person. Um, and it certainly doesn't have the, the deep religious conviction. Um, and, and, and again, I think we kind of gloss over really what it meant to say this is what we are, we are remembering, what Paul's talking about remembering. I mean, it's, it's just, again, it's almost unfathomable, fathomable, to say you would, you know, to, to remember the cross. And that's what we're going to boast in, this complete, you know, symbol of, of shame and and uh, the, the, the punishment, meeting out of punishment and so forth. So, again, I think we, meet, we, we miss a big a big piece of that, certainly with our modern-day understanding of, of the cross, you know. Um, now, the end of this, verse 14, where it talks about, where Paul says, you know, um, through him the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Uh, this is not Paul talking about asceticism, the idea of you know punishing anything with regard to your flesh. I don't want anything to do with the world kind of thing. Uh, not a reason to uh, for us to say, look, it's Paul saying here we should check out a society, we should go off the grid, this kind of stuff. This is not what's happening. Um, another... Um, a thing to, to, to consider here is that you know, the identification with the crucified Messiah does not make a person less interested in the physical world in particular. Uh, they should be more, in, more interested in things that are created by God. Um, I think the identification with the crucified Messiah, and as Paul is basically saying, he's not saying, I just, I don't want anything to do with people. Did Paul talk to people? Did Paul, when he was in jail, was he, he was... Whoever he's with, he's talking to them, right? And I think that that, uh, if anything, it should create in us and create in somebody a concern for what God has created, and people in particular. Um, but what does it mean that, or, or what it does mean, I think, is that no longer having worldly or fleshly advantages should dominate your thinking and your living. That's really the big picture that Paul's talking about here. These fleshly advantages that, that were that, that was being focused on here. Um, and I think this is illustrated when you get into the next verse. It's kind of like Exhibit A, uh, this next verse about circumcision. Uh, let's read it real quick. Verse 15 says, For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but only a new creation. It's almost like saying, Paul's, like Paul's saying, there's nothing about the world. You know, I created them. In fact, circumcision, uncircumcision, these are nothing kind of thing. Uh, this is more like an Exhibit A, circumcision. This could be expanded. I'm sure there were other issues that, that could have been brought up. This is obviously one of the big issues, the, the, again, the issue of the day. Um, and we could probably come up with something in our own day that we could expand this to, uh, what, something that is our desire to seek after external advantages and so forth, things, again, that we have no business taking credit over. But um, often this, this verse about, you know, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. How, is this, how do you think this is often explained or, or, or interpreted? 
things of the Torah don't matter anymore. Uh -huh. Things of the Torah don't matter anymore. What else? Nothing yeah. external matters, really. You could, you could breach it from both sides of the coin in the sense that external matters don't matter, but it really matters what's on the internal. And in the sense of just saying only the internal matters. What, what about the, and that, that, I don't disagree with that, what about the more obvious thing that people probably think this talks about? Yeah, exactly. Does anyone think that's probably what most people think that this is talking about? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, okay, I was wondering why is he choosing circumcision? Why is he making this such an issue? Was that mm -hmm. one of the biggest issues in that day? It's something we can't see. Right. Um, so, what, were people actually boasting about being circumcised? Because, again, you can't, it's not like wearing something on your forehead that you right. can see. So, it's, right. it's, so why were they, why did he choose this as a symbol? This is one of the bigger, and we talked about in earlier weeks, the bigger issues that's being, um, it's the easy exhibit A. Again, I don't think it's the only issue, but it certainly is a big issue in this book. Um, it's, a, it's a very big issue in this book that it's, uh, on the one hand, yes, you can't see it. On the other hand, it was it was the thing that they were really focused on above many other things. Is that you, know, you need to be circumcised and have this external, even though it's not external in the real sense. But the, the short answer to your question is yes, it was something that was being very was very much focused on. But again, I do think it's more when you zoom out to the larger idea. It is the larger concept uh, of the of the external of taking credit in the external things, um, for sure. But And again, maybe this is obvious to us, but if, 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 for example, it'd be a different story if Paul, if, if this verse said, circumcision doesn't mean anything. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says circumcision or uncircumcision. The point is, it's not really wholesale talking about circumcision, although that is a point that's being addressed in the book. But this is not a polemic against circumcision. You know, everyone knows what a polemic is, as we talked about at the beginning, is an argument against something else. This is not an argument against circumcision. If you'd have said circumcision means nothing, that would have been a different story. But again, this this is crucial. This is a recap. This is wrap-up of, of kind of the entirety of Paul's message. Because again, he also says that uncircumcision means nothing. Um, and so it, it's clear that again, this is this is not the focus of this passage. Paul was not dismissing being Jewish. Nor was he saying there is no such thing as being Jewish, nor did he mean that the distinction, like circumcision, for example, the distinction between Jews and Gentiles doesn't matter. Nor did he imply that Israel is irrelevant now. He was only speaking about the matter of salvation and a relationship with God. That's the focus of this passage. Like I said, Acts 2 this weekend, if you remember, it wasn't tongues gets the big press, but how did it end? Peter's message is, God has made this Yeshua Lord and Messiah, therefore repent and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's really that's the that's the, the the thing that's really being focused on. That's the issue at hand is not circumcision. The issue is about a continuing relationship with God, predicated on being a new creature. Don't overlook that idea of new creation. There's a lot we can talk about regarding the new creation. This is the word that's used uh, in Genesis, the idea that when God builds something and so forth. So this is a, this is a, a big deal here. Um, that this new creation, creation, new creature, is not defined, not primarily defined as Jewish, nor Gentile, 
nor as male, nor as female. These are the things he was talking about earlier, if you recall. Not slave, not, not, not free. Um, that new creation, creation, a new creature can be any of those things. Just like before when it says there's no longer male, there's no longer female. He wasn't saying there's no longer distinctions, right? So the new creation can be any one of those things. However, just like with the circumcised or the uncircumcised here, those categories are not the central identity of the new creature. As you mentioned in prior weeks, I think even maybe the first or second class Rabbi Chaim talked about, uh, he's talked about it many times over the, the months and years. You know, when someone asks you, who are you, what, do you what, what are our answers? You know, the typical answers are, you know, what do you do? Where you, and you're going to answer where you're from, and you're this, you're that. But that's not really the, that's not the main part of our identity. And that's what this is talking about. You're not, it's not that you're circumcised. It's not that you're uncircumcised. It's not that you're Jewish. It's not that you're not, that you're not Jewish. And it's not that you're male, it's not that you're female, it's not that you're a slave or that you're free. It's also not that any of those things aren't important, or it's not that any of those things don't exist anymore. It's that those are not where your identity hangs with regard to your relationship with God, relationship uh, with Him through, through Messiah Yeshua. Does that make sense? That's good. That makes sense, Thomas Teasel. A lot of things things are questionable. I think he's also trying to make the argument of the new creation is the best thing. Mm. And that's what you got to hold on to. Right. And again, this is not at the expense of or, or shaking off who you are. Let me read elsewhere. Paul talks about to come in the condition that you're called. If you came this way, be that. If you came this way, be that. Don't necessarily change who you are. That's not what this is about. This is not about becoming homogeneous. They're all the same. It, it, it kind of reminds me of the similar arguments that are made in Hebrews. It's not trying to throw these other things out. It's just saying this is so much better. Mm. And it's maybe using a form of argument to, to emphasize that. This right. is the best. Right. This is what you should hold on to, in a sense. And remember, it's, it's very difficult. Even, I mean, Paul, Paul is still Paul. Yes, he's writing for the inspiration of the Lord. But, how, you know, sometimes have you ever been talking and trying to give advice to somebody and you say, just remember this one thing. And you realize after you say that one thing, you think, but then again, also this one thing and that one thing and so forth. And this is still what Paul, so Paul is, remember at the end here, look at these large letters and get your attention here. He's trying to sort of get this one big thing. Is that the only thing? Yes and no, kind of, you know. But there is a big point he's trying to make. Um, but you're always going to fall short when you try to say this is the one thing. Um, but th- then we get into um, in, into verse 16. And boy, this, this, this gets fun. Now as many as live by this rule, this rule of, you know, and you've got to decide what this rule is. This rule saying that we're all just on an evil, even plain, no, no distinctives and so forth. Or what, what's he saying here? But all that would live by this rule, shalom and mercy. And a lot of uh, ink has been spilled on why is it shalom and mercy? Usually it's mercy and peace. Maybe it's usually mercy and then peace the other way. Uh, but shalom and mercy on them. Who's them? And on the Israel of God. And who's the Israel of God? Anyone want to explain all that? Who the Israel of, <laughs> Israel of God is? <laughs> the church, of course. The church, Israel of God. Amen. No. That's a thought. Israel of God. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he hasn't mentioned Israel once in this whole book. And we're going to say Israel of God, that's 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 you know, that's, that's the church. Um, this gets again, this this gets pretty pretty dicey. Um, is are these two distinct groups? Is this one group? I like to hear the difference. Who has, who has like, oh, Michael, what's the King James? What's it say? Um, just the whole verse. Just, just verse uh, uh, as, 16, yeah. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and 
mercy and upon the Israel of God. Okay. Who else has a translation other than the the, 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 the Jewish New Testament, I mean, uh, David Stern or the Tree of Life? Anyone have a, another English translation? Right. Good. As for those who will follow the, this rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Okay. So, there's different ways. You probably have different versions there in your in your thing. But the the question is: Are these two groups? Um, should this be especially the Israel of God, uh, meaning this group, and especially is there a separate type of thing? Some will say that it's uh, that it should be translated what they call it's a big fancy word called exegetical or or a positive. The point is this equals this. So. Uh, all that would follow this rule um, that is the Israel of God making them equal so it's one group um, it gets tr- it gets very very tricky a couple things I want to I want to kind of say about it um, <laughs> I'm going to give uh, this is a total Jewish answer I end up giving I think I've given you notes I think I conclude your notes by saying let me cut to the chaser and I'll back up uh more likely what this means, I'm going to read the notes here, is that Gentile believers have come to be, through association with you, a part of a larger Israel. The Israel of God. In other words, believing, believing Jews, right? On the other hand, I put in your notes, <laughs> it could simply mean just a catch-all for God's people. This is everyone in kind of one big group, God's people. Um, yet, again, not absent distinctions and so forth. If you want to read a, a really big discourse on this, if you have, you probably have in yours, in yours David Stern has about four to five pages in his New Testament uh, commentary about this. Um, you know, a couple things. Paul, in terms of Israel, I think pretty pretty standardly, and this, this is the only time we see it in this, in this book, uh, when you see Paul talk about Israel, for example, in the book of Romans, you look at chapters 9 through 11, there's probably a dozen references to Israel. It always means Israel, just as Israel would be. There's never a time where it means the quote-unquote church or Gentiles or, or that, that kind of thing. Um, I think the idea, of, personally, I do think the idea of it being a subset of Jewish people. Like, when you ever, have you ever seen David Stern's consecutive cons, uh, concentric circles? These are two circles that intersect each other. Right? And he's got, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Michael, and I, you have two circles that overlap, and you've got on the right side, that, with, by itself, you have Jewish people, and then you have Gentile people, right? And David Stern will say, and I think, you know, at least initially, these were. Jewish, the Jewish believers were in this one that overlapped with the Gentiles. That's kind of where, where where Messianic Jews are, kind of thing. So we're not part of Judaism in the sense of the traditional Judaism. But you've got this inner part. Could that be the could could that be the initial Israel of God before Gentiles were in there? I mean, all these questions. I'm going to say this though, because you start reading about this, and I think the important thing is that this is not some. In, this is, it does not not include Jewish people for sure. It does not not include Israel because Israel typically always means Israel. Um, and the idea that the church uh, is now Israel, even replacement theology, these kind of ideas didn't even occur at this time. This was much later. You're talking into the mid uh, middle of the second century, most likely before that idea even was there. Um, so it's better to take it as I think as it's a plain meaning. In other words, I think two groups. You've got grammatically. It talks about it's got two prepositions. If you know the grammar, you've got upon this group and upon this group. So you've got that kind of thing. Um, the uh, my experience with this with this this kind of dilemma, or they call it exegetical crux, so to speak, 
is that when there are so many varying options, and, and you might be the kind of person that I know there's a couple in this room for sure, a couple of you like this, you really want to dig in there and figure out what this means. And you want to, you're going to put it in a box and figure out what it means. You're going to put it in that box and close the lid. And what I want to encourage you to do is when, it, when you come into these kind of um, these kind of translation issues or these kind of questions, what in the world is this? What does it mean when all Israel shall be saved and this, this kind of stuff? Um, when there's so many varying opinions, is this is where you really need to zoom out and look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture. And I don't mean the bigger picture. Just the bigger picture what Paul's trying to get at here. Does it really make much? Could it be the people of God? It could. The bigger picture, again, we're getting at here is what Paul's message is about the externals and about boasting, which you're boasting and this kind of stuff. This is really, if you get that message, then you're then he's saying, peace and mercy to you. <laughs> you know, I think that's the big picture there. So, uh, let me leave you hanging, but again, I'm just going to give you theories if I go through all the stuff I read about the Israel of God and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, I, I, that's my experience, is you try to zoom out and really try to take a focus on what's really the big picture of what's being talked about here. Um, going on to verse 17, Paul says, From now on, let no one make trouble for me, for I bear on my body the scars or the marks or the, the tattoos, if you will, of Yeshua. Um, and again, there's not much controversy here. Some will actually say that the early believers had actual tattoos and so <laughs> forth. Um, probably not, most likely, because of the Torah's view on, on, on that type of thing. Um, I know we have people here with tattoos. You have people that remove tattoos. Uh, uh, so all that kind of stuff, that's not, a, not a, uh, anything against any of that stuff. But I think that what the marks or the scars here are not tattoos. These are more like the things I mentioned before when it came to Paul's uh, um, uh, afflictions and so forth, likely the physical results of his actual suffering that he suffered for the sake of Messiah. You know, these are the actual beatings and the scars. I think this is all my real scars here. The actual things that he suffered for. Um, things that, quite frankly, many of us uh, won't ever experience. And that's maybe good and bad. I and mean, I'm not looking to experience those things on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, it probably would change our perspective on a lot of things if you were truly suffering our faith, which we don't tend to do in a real physical way in our setting, you know. We can talk about people misunderstanding us or thinking we've, you know, given up on, on life and that kind of stuff and we're, we're you know, we're not pursuing things like we should and we're not the go-getter that we should be or whatever it might be, but those those are those pale in comparison to what Paul is, 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 is uh, talking about here, quite frankly. These marks that he's talking about. And then verse 18, uh, really is kind of his, his short salutation. This might be the only thing that's really a salutation, that uh, the grace of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. So, I want to read a couple of uh, sort of concluding thoughts, and I think Jaime, Rabbi Jaime may, may give some of his as well, but uh, I want to read a couple things, uh, two quotes that I got from a couple authors, and then maybe some of my own thoughts. Uh, one um, this is these are concluding thoughts about the book. You know, what is Galatians? Remember, we talked about initially, you know, what, what do people typically say about Galatians? And, and hopefully we've dispelled some of those things. We know everything that's being talked about. We know exactly what Paul was trying to say. We don't. One day we'll find out, what did you mean when you said Israel of God? And we'll find out. We'll, we'll have that in, you know, Galatians 101 when we get to heaven or whatever. You know, we'll find out what did Paul actually mean by that. But hopefully you've got a different perspective on some things like, you know, when people find out you're part of a messi- messianic congregation and they say, huh. So you read you've read Galatians, right? In other words, what are you doing that for? Kind of thing. Hopefully, you've got a different perspective on 
Those are things I think a lot of these things are being read into the text. A lot of those things are not taken into account that this is a very specific, uh, occasional, polemic letter that Paul's writing. Um, but here's here's a really good author that I that, we, that I used a lot for the for the studies we were going through, and Hein did as well. Unfortunately, I'm not really happy about one of these conclusions he drew at the end of his book. Uh, he said his you know that Galatians is about this, and he says the law of Moses came to an abrupt halt for guiding God's people when Messiah came to earth. That's what that's what happened. The law of Moses came to an abrupt halt for guiding God's people when Messiah came to earth. This is a very uh, intelligent scholar, um, which you know makes me hesitate even to discuss. Do I disagree with that? Well, I, I just I, I do. It's not because of any agenda. I just think that more likely, I would say something like, as opposed to the law of Moses came to an abrupt halt for guiding God's people when Messiah came to earth. I would say that the law of Moses came to life and was lived out as an example when the Messiah came to the earth. Um, and you know, I think the, the, the target of Galatians for us, in other words, any modern day application, is really not so much anyone who would, who would observe any Jewish uh, feast days or festivals or, or regard anything in the prior to Matthew as anything worthwhile, but that any, it would be anyone who, who depreciates Yeshua as sufficient Savior and minimizes the power of the Holy Spirit as a sufficient guide. Uh, the letter does not primarily speak against you know, what we do as a congregation, for example, which is you know, not necessarily some congregations that we want to do just what they did in the first century. We want to be first century believers. All right, well, let's, we're going to collect all your cell phones in a minute. We're going to collect your clothes. We're going to collect, you know, that's not, that's not what we're about either. Um, but we don't want to minimize the power of the, of the Spirit as a sufficient guide, for sure. And this letter does not speak against, against you know, observations like we do. Um, it doesn't speak about observation of the law or God's standards out of love and out of compulsion to do those things that please Him. Um, it doesn't c- condemn uh, being set apart and identifiable as belonging to Him and following Him. The, the Spirit, if you were at service on Saturday, I mentioned that's what the Spirit does. We talk about, you know, when, when Peter says, receive the gift of the Spirit, you got to go back to what's the point of the Spirit? If you, if you were there this Saturday, I went back to John 14 and said, what does Yeshua say the point of the Spirit is? I'm going to, you know, if you love me, obey my commandments. I'm going to leave you soon, but I'm going to send you a, 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 a spirit that's going to remind you of everything I told you, everything I did. And so I think that's the that's the point of the spirit. So that's going to make us identifiable, following him. The power, the spirit empowers us for that. It's what's promised in Jeremiah, and again, John 14. Um, so whatever else we say Galatians is about, it is. I don't believe it, it is about an abandonment of God's standards as if they were some type of oppressive, you know, weight vest or something, you know, some kind of oppressive cloak. And following the law, just saying that in itself, does not equal a discounting of the Spirit. Uh, In fact, if anything, it would be proof of the activity of the Spirit in one's life. If it's a legitimate living out your life in a way that's honorable to God, in a way that he spells out in his his word. Uh, I do want to read one concluding paragraph from another author that uh, I thought was a good paragraph, or I I took a little pieces of it. Uh, He says this, he says, This is sort of in his concluding thoughts about Galatians. He says, All expressions of faith in Messiah are to be understood as culturally relevant. All expressions of faith are to be understood as culturally relevant, but not spiritually necessitated. Paul is not against external expressions of one's faith, per se, nor against all cultic rituals. 
One's spiritual life cannot be simply internal. It must also be expressed externally in acts of worship to God and service on behalf of God to people. What matters for the believer in Yeshua is the fact of being a new creation, with that newness of creation reflected externally in culturally relevant lives of worship and service. I think I put that in notes so you can go back and study it and look, look over it. That, that name up that long and that, because that's actually the name of an author. He's a legitimate, uh, legitimate biblical scholar. So we've got a couple of minutes. Do you have any questions? If not, or maybe you can hold on. I think maybe Rabbi Chaim wants want to wrap up with sort of an announcement as well about what we're going to do going forward. Um, so why don't we do that first? Because we only have a few minutes, and then if you have any questions, we can try to field them before, right before eight or, or shortly after. Is that, is that good? Okay. So I'll let you come. Well, I actually don't have a ton. Um, I, I just, first of all, wanted to mention that next Wednesday night we will not be having a Bible study. Um, we will have a, um, a wedding rehearsal uh, next Wednesday night. And so, as the saying goes, uh, with one gluteus you can only dance at one wedding at one time. Um, uh, more, more uh, hopefully clear is is we've been going through Galatians for 19 weeks. Uh, it's been a good study. Uh, I feel it's been a good study. I feel like God has been using uh, our digging into this book to stretch us and add all kinds of new insights, and and I feel that's been wonderful. Uh, we are praying about uh, a uh, another series, and we're uh, going to take a, a few more days to um, pray and get discernment from that, uh, for, uh, discernment from the Lord on the next direction. Um, we're inclined to uh, pick up in Romans because, as you were hopefully noticing, there was a lot of parallels between what we've been seeing in Galatians and what is discussed in in Romans uh, chapters 1 through 6 uh, in much greater detail um, and so we're praying about that uh, we'll give you more information um, and that is it do you do you have any questions um, <clears throat> By the way, part part of what uh, Rabbi David and I want to do is to uh, encourage you in your own grasp and understanding of um, what it means to be a follower of Yeshua who is committed to His Lordship and who is comfortable with, uh, with the same book that Yeshua and his disciples followed. Remember that the early believers uh, w their Bible was the Torah, the Prophets and the Writings. And so unfortunately there's been such a huge shift away from that uh, among fellow believers who basically tend to minimize um, what the Torah says because A, they typically don't understand it and B 
because they have gotten a somewhat uh, twisted perspective on it and um, it's not as if we stand here and say we have it completely correctly but we feel that if Yeshua was or not if since Yeshua was a Jew and his followers were Jews and we're taking a somewhat Hebraic approach that we're probably in the, somewhere in the right vicinity, right? Yes. Well, thank you, Karen. <laughs> so, um, let's uh, conclude with a word of prayer. Very timely uh, phone message there. Thank you, Lord, uh, for all the wonderful things you have accomplished um, in our midst individually and corporately uh, through this uh, in-depth study of, of this often misunderstood uh, book in your word. We thank you, Lord God, for all the insights that you have added to each one of us in, in all the areas where we need uh, those insights. And we pray, Lord God, that you would cause your word in as it is expressed here in Galatians um, to lodge deeply and bear much fruit and uh, be used by your ruach to bring about a greater degree of transformation and maturation uh, for us to be mature sons and daughters of God we pray Lord God that um, that you would establish those uh, uh, insights and uh, we pray Lord God that that you would give us a greater hunger uh, for your word and a greater uh, discernment uh, on how you want us to pursue that and we pray that you would receive much honor and glory in the process we pray as well for your protection on, on us as we head our separate ways bring us back Lord God to worship you and celebrate uh, the festival of Shavuot and we ask this in Yeshua's name Amen <laughs>